0: So today we're kicking off our summer series. Emojis. You know, those little things that we all use. There's so much etiquette that comes with it. I mean, I was told a, a, a few months ago, I was told that if you, that, that when someone sends an emoji as the response to a text message, it's basically saying our conversation is done. It's kind of like acknowledgement and like, okay, we're done. You don't have to write it. You just kind of like, you know, thumbs up, shaka, whatever. You, I use the shaka a lot because I love Hawaii. And that's like the only other place that if God want me to move, I'm like, God, if you want me to move anywhere, Hawaii's it. That, that, and that's that's the option. All right. Um. But uh, but anyways, I, I, it's it's these things we use them all the time. Did did you know? I, I learned this. Did you know that emojis is not for emotions? Yeah, it, we we hear the names emojis. Do you know what emoji actually means? I, I'm gonna tell you. It's, it's actually not in English. Where it's really Japanese. And so the E, I know you know because that's your heritage. But I, I, you correct me if I'm wrong. But got to know your audience, right? The E means picture in Japanese, where it comes from, and emoji means character. So the word emoji, which debuted in 1997 in certain Japanese phones, means character pictures or picture characters. It just so happened that in the English language, emojis is very similar to what we consider emotions, and we use emojis to show emotions, right? We got the heart emoji. We got the praying hands emoji. We got the kissy emoji. We got the scared emoji. We got the surprise emoji. We got the poop emoji. Can we be real? I, for years, thought it was ice cream. Listen. What does a soft serve ice cream cone look like? Is that not what it looks like? I took, I, I, I Google search, soft serve ice cream, and every picture of soft serve ice cream looks like the top of an emoji. Be honest, you guys are like, ah, oh, nah, yeah, pastor, I can't believe you thought that was ice cream. You probably thought it was ice cream, too. And just a little bit of shame, don't wanna say it, but I have no shame because I have been delivered by the blood of Jesus. And I used to send people the emoji <laughs> Thinking it was ice cream. And here's this person, you know, thinking I'm pooping on their parade, you know. Here's another thing I learned. The emoji you send is not necessarily the emoji the other person sees. See, did you know that? That every provider and every company has its own translation of the code for the emoji which is y- 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 the Apple smiley face doesn't look the same way on an Android. Or if you go on Facebook and put a smiley face, it doesn't look the same way because every single one has its own thing. Or have you ever gotten a text message that is a square with a question mark? See, that's because somebody sent you an emoji that your phone does not know how to read. It's an emoji you don't have. It's very interesting stuff when it comes to all these emojis. As we think of all of these, uh, we want to spend some time in this series talking about something that actually was first mentioned in the 1960s, but gained some popularity about 10 years ago, and it's something called emotional intelligence. See, I'm going to read you the definition of emotional intelligence. It's this. Emotional intelligence has been defined as the ability to monitor one's own and other people's emotions to discriminate between different emotions and label them appropriately and to use emotional information to guide thinking and behavior. I'm gonna read it one more time. The ability to monitor one's own and other people's emotions, to discriminate between different emotions And label them appropriately and to use emotional information to guide thinking and behavior. Emotional intelligence actually has nothing to do with your age. And I've met a lot, nobody that comes to our church, there's nobody here, okay, none of you guys. But I've met some people that are advanced in years of age, but have the emotional intelligence or EQ, emotional quotient, of a one-year-old. And I've met some young kids that have more emotional quotient than some older ones. You know, all of our children are different, aren't they? Those of you that are parents with more than one, they're all different. I've got three. And my older ones, Abigail and Alexandra, they're very different. Abigail gets lost with whatever it is that she's thinking or doing. If Abigail's reading a book, you can say her name seven times and she will not respond. She literally does not hear you. She is engulfed in it. Or she may have something on her mind to say, and she cannot read the room to understand that it wasn't the right time to say it. So part of my parental duties is to help her grow in her emotional IQ or her emotional quotient. Alexandra, she can read a room within seconds. Alexandra knows precisely when to stay quiet and when to say something. She will notice she, she, she's totally different. Her emotional quotient is super high. She can see things and notice them. And, and I see it in the characteristics. See, when, when you study emotional IQ or emotional intelligence, there's five stages or characteristics that deal with emotional intelligence. All right. The first one or stage one is self-awareness of your emotions, being self-aware, being able to understand or being aware of your own emotions. That's the first one. The second one is self regulation, being able to regulate one's emotions, being able to control one's emotions. The third one is self-motivation. See, many people need motivation in order to control their emotions, but when you've got a higher emotional intelligence or emotional quotient, you're able to be self-motivated. You don't need the money or the workplace or the job or other people in order to be able to be motivated to control your emotions. The fourth one is the ability to empathize. And that's something that's very lost within our culture nowadays. Because everybody is very focused on themselves, but having a high EQ is being able to empathize as well when somebody is going through something. And the fifth one is social skills, being able to manage relationships, understanding that your emotion doesn't need to be the first one in priority. It reminds me of the Big Bang. Anybody ever see Big Bang Theory? Sheldon had no understanding of emotions, when to say it, when not to say it. And his friends would always try to keep him in, in line with that. And a lot of studies have been done with this, where they have found many people who are super successful business people, multimillionaires, that when you look at their IQ, it wasn't very high. They got D's, C's, and F's in school, but they're super successful when it comes to business because they have a high emotional quotient. And people with a high emotional quotient are usually better leaders because they're able to be aware of their emotions, the emotions of others, how to navigate it, how to emphasize and how to have the social skills to move things forward. So the goal of this series is that by the end of these six weeks that we're going to be tackling different emotions is that we may all grow a little in our emotional uh, quotient in our eq in our emotional intelligence why because emotions are part of us the bible says that god created us in his image and likeness can you not think of god conveying emotion in the bible i mean i can think of many verses that talks about god's love that's an emotion I can think of verses where it talks about God's anger being aroused. I can think of verses where God regretted creating mankind because of the sin that they committed. I can think of verses where Jesus said, I give you peace, and that's another emotion. God had emotions, and so we have emotions. And what happens? Many times... We say that we need to dismiss emotions. And how, let, me, let me give you something that I feel is imperative for all of us to understand and know. And it's this. It is not godly, ungodly, to lead your life based on your emotions. You cannot lead life based on emotions. That is ungodly. However, it is also ungodly to deny or vilify your emotions. See, both extremes are wrong. You cannot live your life based on emotions and you cannot deny emotion or vilify it. Look at a person and be like, gosh, because you're just so emotional. And what happens is some of us are just not in tune with emotions. If you ask somebody, hey, what are you feeling? Oh, I don't know. It's basically telling you I don't have the EQ to understand what it is that I'm processing and going through. And that's the thing that we want to hit and tackle over the next few weeks. And today, I want to talk about an emotion that we all have faced, are facing, and will face again. And it's fear, scared, being afraid. If you have an iPhone and you type in the word scared, this is what pops up as the emoji. You can click. (laughs) And fear is a very broad term. Did you know that? According to psychologists, it's a very broad term. As a matter of fact, I brought a little list today, and it's actually a short list. It's not the full list of phobias, fears. Here's my favorite one. I wanna tell you what my favorite phobia that i found on this list is. Are you ready for it? Phobophobia. Phobophobia is the fear of phobia. It is being afraid Of being afraid. I'm not making it up. You're shaking your head. I'm not making it up. It's right here. I'll give you the paper. I can't make this stuff up. Phobophobia. Now, I'm going to read you a few of them, okay? I'm going to give you a few little phobias here, right? Acrophobia. Fear of heights. There's a lot of people that deal with that. Acloophobia. Fear of darkness. Agoraphobia. Fear of open spaces or crowds. Arachnophobia. You all know that one. Fear spiders. Here, you want you want an interesting one? Barophobia, the fear of gravity. Fear of gravity. Like oh, yeah. Yeah. people that are, have the fear of gravity. Bathmophobia, the fear of stairs. Botanophobia, the fear of plants. Bibliophobia, the fear of books. You heard me say bibliophobia, I thought I was going to talk about the Bible, but did you know that the word Bible, and I'll teach you something here, the word Bible is, actually means a collection of books. That's what the word Bible means, and which is why the Holy Bible has the distinction as Holy Bible, it is a holy collection of books, books that were written by men through the inspiration of God and the Holy Spirit, okay? That's a, a nugget, as Pastor Fernie would say, um, Hold on. I had another one I read in Spanish service, man. I can't remember the name. There's one here that's the fear of rooms. Rooms, like a room, like your bedroom, like fear of room. We have all of these fears. And fears, they usually produce one of three responses. You ready for this? The first one is fight. Some people feel fear and they feel the response to fight it, to combat it, to go against it. Some people feel fear, and their response is to run away. And third, people feel fear, and their response is to freeze. So a lot of people freeze under pressure or a circumstance. I remember, um, I actually remember this. I was about five years old, and... Um, I, I was doing something that I was told not to do. Anybody ever do that before? One of my favorite fruits—I'm not sure what they're called in English—but in Spanish they're called mamoncillos. In certain places they call them canups, Spanish limes. Different things that they call us. But this little little thing like that—it's got a huge seed, and you and you put it in your mouth, and you kind of suck off uh, suck off the, the the pulp on it, and then you spit out the seed. Well, I already had had my quotient for the day, and my mom said no more, but I wanted more. Five-year-old David grabbed a few more and sat behind the couch and started eating them, and the seed went down and lodged in my throat. So all of a sudden, my mom, who was watching probably a novela Topacio or something at that moment in time, it was like, I was five years old, 1985, all right? Our cat was named Topacio because of the novela. Um, she hears me gasping. <gasps> And she recognized it was wrong and she looked and she ran to the phone. And she picked up the phone and said, Ayuda, help! And would hang up. And pick up the phone, help, help, rescue! And hang up, never dialed the phone, never dialed 911. My older brother ran out of his room. What's wrong? And she's like, your brother, he's choking. And so my older brother was filled with adrenaline. He looked, he stuck his finger in his mouth and he pulled out the mamoncillo seed, right? Boom, and he chucked it out. And then he looked at it and he started throwing up. (laughs) So then I can finally breathe and I'm crying. My mom is crying. My brother's throwing up and crying. We're all freaked out, right? But that moment, the response, the, the, the natural response of the situation, it didn't allow her to process properly. And the only true response to fear that will get you to overcome it is running to God. I've given this story before, this illustration. We went to eat many, many years ago. I think we only had Abigail at that moment. She was only about two and a half or so, two, two and a half. I think she was, Patty was pregnant with Alexandra still. So. And uh, we went to eat in uh, downtown Disney, Disney Springs as it's called now, at the T-Rex restaurant. And uh, T-Rex is like Rainforest Cafe. If you've never been to T-Rex, it is the sister branch or, or restaurant of Rainforest Cafe. So it, it, it's all, uh, everything is decked out like if it was the time of the dinosaurs. And they got these animatronic dinosaurs that move and roar and, and do all these different things. It's really cool. But two and a half year old Abigail was having nothing to do with it. So Patty went to take Abigail to the bathroom, and they come back to the table, and she looks at me, and she says, Abigail's petrified of the T-Rex. T- she, she was crying. She wanted to do with it, and I was like, all right, we, we got it. We, we're, we've always been very big on not allowing fear to creep into our kids. You know, many times we damage our kids. They fall down, and you run. Are you okay? Are you okay? Hey, you know, Whatever. Our kids, whenever they fall, we're like, you're safe. To this day, we do it, Samantha, we do it, we, we, you're safe. You're, there may be blood, there may be whatever, we'll deal with it, but you're fine. Okay? So I was like, all right, let's confront the fear. And I picked up Abigail, put her in my arms, and we went back to the T-Rex. And I spoke to her and I said, Mama, it, it's, it's a machine, it's a robot, it's not real, you're okay, I've got you. And the fear of the T-Rex left her. And she was able to stand there. I, I taught, I ta- about what happened to us a few weeks ago, When we were on vacation, Patty goes with the girls to get in the elevator. And we were up on the 18th floor, there was two elevators. One of them is used for the construction. Uh, so it had like, you know, the, the big tarps that are covering you so it doesn't get scratched and mess up. And, and the the residents, the people staying there could use either elevator, right? But the construction people could only use the construction one. And so Patty presses the button and the elevator comes and the door opens. And she's there with Samantha and, and Alexandra and, and uh, Samantha and Abigail. I had Alexandra, I believe. And um, so she opens a door. The door opens and there's this big tall guy dressed in white, like construction attire, head to toe, long sleeves and a mask. And Samantha looked at the guy and said, susto, susto, susto. <laughs> For those of you that don't know Spanish, it's, 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 I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm scared. And she took a step back, and Patty looked at the gentleman and said, oh, we'll get the next one. So they tell me the story once we go, and and then I notice as we go back to get on the elevator that that le- elevator opened, and guess what, Samantha, there was nobody in it, but Samantha didn't want to go in. So we got her, and was like, Mama, the elevator's Okay. It's safe, it's fine, let's go. We walked her in. We had the confrontation to the fear. And if we don't deal with it that way, she can grow up to be a person that anything that sparks fear will cause a reaction to flee and run. And the enemy operates in instilling fear. Because if you are walking in fear, you will not walk into the purpose and potential that God has for you. Let me read you a couple of verses that will show you that fear does not come from God. The first one is 2 Timothy 1.7. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. God does not operate in giving you fear. You may read in scripture that it talks about the fear of the Lord, but fear of the Lord is not fright, it is reverence of. So when the Bible talks about having fear of the Lord is being reverent before the Lord, not having fear of him. Okay, so God doesn't give you fear. Anything that brings fear does not come from God. As a matter of fact, God is love according to 1 John 4. And if you read 1 John 4, 18, 1 John 4, 18, it says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear involves torment But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. This word fear is the Greek word from which we get phobia, phobias. P-H-O-B-O, it's the word phobo, which comes into phobia. That is where we get it from fear. But God's love cast out fear. Did you know that fear is a result of the fall of man? Fear is a result of Adam eating the fruit. Before Adam ate the fruit, he did not know fear. He wasn't afraid of the animals. As a matter of fact, what had God told him? Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the land. He was in charge of it. He was not afraid of it. He was in charge of it. However, the minute that he eats of the fruit and sin enters, look at Genesis 3.10. Genesis 3.10. It says, God calls out to Adam and he says, this is Adam, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Before that instance, the Bible says and recounts that God and Adam walked throughout the garden together. There was no fear. It was God and Adam in the garden. But when sin crept in, fear crept in because fear is not a natural response from God. Therefore, we need to combat anything that brings fear to us and eliminate the things that bring fear to us so that we can overcome the fear. See, I can read of many different stories in the Bible of people that faced fear. Have you heard of a guy named Gideon? Gideon was a coward. And God calls Gideon and says, Hey, Gideon, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, You looking for another Gideon? Because I'm the only Gideon here. Who, Who are you talking about? He was a man that was actually afraid of fear, He or afraid of stuff. So God gives him instructions to go do something. And then Gideon combats the fear by asking God, hey, confirm what you're calling me to do. Let me tell you something. Walking into your purpose can bring the emotional response of fear, but you're not supposed to stay there. If you remember, a few months ago, we had a series titled Red that stood for Remember Every Day. And part of that series, we talked about temptation and the fact that temptation in it of itself is not a sin. You being tempted to do something that you're not supposed to do is not sin, Falling into it and doing it is the sin. So if fear is not a response from God, doesn't come from God, you feeling the fear is not sin, but you allowing fear to govern your life will stop you from reaching the purpose that God has for you. Esther. A true rags-to-riches story. Esther was a woman who was an orphan. Her parents had died. She was raised by Mordecai. The king is looking for a new wife. And he's asked for all the virgins of the land to be brought in. And Esther is chosen. She is the first queen of the universe or whatever you want to call it, Miss America, whatever it is, Miss Universe. She gets chosen to be the queen. And as she's the queen and she's there before the king and all the different stuff, this guy Haman because of his hatred towards Mordecai, decides to come up with a plot to kill all the Jews. So Mordecai gets wind of it and dresses himself with sackcloth. He rips his clothes and he goes to the footsteps of the palace. Esther sees her family member Mordecai. She sends people to him. Hey, you can't be here like this. What's going on? She gets the message from Mordecai. Somebody's going to kill all the Jews. You need to do something about it. And fear crept in. Esther recounts to Mordecai what the law said. You can only go before the king if he summons you. You can only go before the king if he calls you. If I go before the king unannounced and he does not extend the scepter towards me, I will be executed. Fear. Mordecai sends a message back to her and says, let me let you know something. Maybe God called you for a time as this, but no one thing." if you decide not to walk in your calling or your purpose, I'm paraphrasing it here, know this, God will spare us somehow, but don't think that you're going to be spared. So her response was, I'll go before the king, but get everybody together to fast for three days. You want to know one of the things you need to do to overcome fear? You need to go fast and pray. What does it mean to fast? It doesn't mean to run fast. I'm not telling you go exercise with a parachute now so you can get faster at running. (laughs) Have you ever seen people running with a parachute attached to them? Yeah. supposed to be helping them get resistance so they can run faster. Fasting is abstaining from food in order to be able to have a clearer hearing and understanding of God. I'm not talking about going on a diet. That's when some people, oh, I'm fasting right now, and it's because they're dieting. No it is replacing the meal with time with god so that your spirit man governs over your fleshly man and even when your stomach goes feed me you say shut up stomach i'm pursuing god right now all right she said fast and the people fasted and she overcame the fear and she went before the king the king extended the scepter you know who else operated in fear the 10 spies See, when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, God sends Moses, who also had fear, attack him, if you remember. That. I mean, we can talk about a lot of people facing fear in the Bible. Moses said, I, I'm not worthy. I can't go before Pharaoh. I, I, I can't speak, speak too good. He, he, he stuttered. It's what the definition of the word in the original language means. Moses had a speech impediment. So God sends him, go before Pharaoh anyways and take your brother Aaron as your mouthpiece. That's a whole other lesson. But when they're in the wilderness, and they're about to enter the promised land, Moses picks 12 spies to go into the promised land and spy out the land and see if the land is truly good. They have been told the land will be flowing with milk and honey. So the spies come back to Moses, and the Bible says, listen to this, it says that between two people, they hung and carried a bushel of grapes. One bushel of grapes. Carried amongst two people. That's some big grapes. And these spies, it was 12 of them, 10 of them come and say to everybody, the land is truly good. The land is great, but there's giants in the land and we look like grasshoppers next to the giants. We will die if we walk in. Caleb and Joshua, the other two spies, Caleb speaks up first and says, no, 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 no. It's true that the people are big, but guess what? God is bigger, and he will deliver us into the promised land. Watch this now. The only two people that were in Egypt that walked into the promised land were Caleb and Joshua. The only two people of the million-plus people that left Egypt that walked into the promised land were the two that instead of allowing fear to govern them confronted fear saying God is bigger and will give us victory and they walked into their purpose. Two out of over a million people. They're the ones that entered. And many of us because of the natural emotion of fear have been paralyzed or are running away when God is saying, come into my arms and confront the Tyrannosaurus rex. Come into my arms and walk into the elevator. Come into my arms and walk into the promised land. Walk into the calling that I've called you to walk into. Feeling fear is not sin. Allowing it to govern your operation is. We cannot allow emotions to govern our decision making. We're supposed to be guided through the Holy Spirit and God. The Bible says we are to renew our minds. And that's a daily battle and a daily fight. But you choose how you're going to respond, it's a choice. To allow the fear to govern you or to say with God, I can do it. I can't do it alone. But you're not alone. God is with you and with him you shall overcome. Many of us are allowing ourselves to be subjected to what our past says, to what we saw in our family. Because my parents were divorced, I'll probably end up in divorce. I can say that in my family. If I go back, my 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 my, uh, my, my mom's parents got divorced, and her parents before that, and, and and in my dad's side, my grandfather died when my dad was young. There was there was not nucleus of family together raising the kids. So I can walk into marriage and be fearful that my kids would have the same thing. Or I can stand and run to God and say, my family may have experienced this, but because you're the center of our lives, my children will not. Because the change is starting with us. And the fear then has to take a back seat and get kicked out of the car. As you run to God. As you run to him. As you go to him. Some of you perhaps are stuck on the fact that everybody in your family went through the same thing. Church, let me tell you something. Fear doesn't come from God and he doesn't operate with fear. You know, one of the huge reasons, in my personal opinion, why we have so much disrespect towards police officers in this country? Because of the parents that tell their children as a mode of Correction of behavior, if you keep doing that, I'm going to call the police. You ever heard anybody say that to a kid? So what does that teach the child? Be afraid of them. They're going to bring punishment. That's not what you teach children. No, you grab your children, you see an officer, you tell them, say, hello, officer. Good afternoon, officer. Thank you for what you do, officer. That's how you combat it. There's some of you that have done that with God and your children. Dios te está mirando. God is watching you. It's a very Hispanic thing. <laughs> and then you come to me when your kid is a teenager and wants nothing to do with God and ask me the question, where did I go wrong? What well, started when they were little and you instilled the improper fear to govern their emotion. It's really profound there. So it's time that we start recognizing fear as the emotion creeping in and combat the fear by running to God. Does anybody know who's known as the father of our faith? Abraham. Abraham's known as the father of faith. Abraham, before his name was changed to Abraham, it was Abram. And Abram had gone into a fight and had gotten all this conquests and all this loot, gotten all these rewards. And he went and shared the and gave the, uh, the tithe to Melchizedek. It's the first time in the Bible that you see tithe. We're going to talk about it in a few months. We're going to have a series on, on freedom of, and, and finances and things of that nature. And we're going to talk about it because a lot of people that, that don't tithe and they say because it was uh, something that dealt with the law. And they say it's because of Old Testament, all kinds of baloney. Well, I'm going to give you a little thing that's a teaser to what's to come in a few months, okay? First things first, tithing predates the law. Because Abraham established giving the tithe before the law of Moses by over 400 years. Okay? Principle number one. And principle number two, Jesus in the New Testament talked about tithing being what you're supposed to do. And then the apostles also mention the fact that you are supposed to tithe so that the things can be pressed forward. And it, 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 we're going to get into that deeper. But just after Abraham does this, him and God have a conversation, and God enters into covenant with Abraham. Watch. Look what Genesis chapter 15 verse 1 says. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Do you know that the most common commandment in the scripture is do not be afraid or fear not? It is the commandment that comes out the most amount of time in the entire Bible. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Why? Because if you're operating in fear, it will quench you from walking into your purpose and destiny. Abraham looks at God and says, you're telling me not to be afraid. You're telling me I'm going to have this great reward in you that you're my shield, but I don't got an heir. You've prospered me and I don't got anybody to leave it to. And this is where God enters into the massive covenant that all of our stuff is built on when God looks at Abraham and says, go outside and count the grains of sand. Uh, Just know how difficult that is. When you get home, get a spoonful of sugar, not to make the medicine go down, but get a spoonful (laughs) of sugar, put it on the table, and try to separate it all to count it. One spoonful, okay? Now imagine standing in a desert And God says, count the sand. And God says, that's how many descendants you will have. That was the divine covenant through which Isaac was coming. And it all started with, do not be afraid because I'm your shield. When you allow fear to operate in your life, it will stop you from walking in the covenant that God has with you. And when you run to God and push fear aside, you're able to walk into that covenant and receive the blessing. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says this. Isaiah forty-one ten says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Church, as the worship team comes to the altar, I'm here as we kick off this summer series to tell you, fear cannot have a hold of you because God says that he is with you. It reminds me of an old VeggieTale episode, where they're dealing with fear, and Larry Boy comes out and tells the kid, you can't have fear, and it says, God is bigger than the boogeyman, he's bigger than Godzilla and the monster's on TV, and God is bigger than the Boogie man, and he's watching over you and me. Listen, I almost look like an asparagus. (laughs) I'm telling you, God is bigger than your problem. God is bigger than your issue. And he said, fear not, for I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. I mean, what what does a lifeguard do when you're drowning? They jump in and uphold you out of the water. What do you do with your kids when you're at Disney and they want to watch the parade? You get them and put them on your shoulders to uphold them to see what's on the other side. And I can just keep on going. Because God will uphold you. My phone's over there. But when you're typing on your phone and you're typing the text message and the word fear, afraid, or scared props up and the phone props you to click on the emoji, hit the backspace, erase the fear, run to God, fast, pray. It's what we saw the people do to have their victory. And don't allow the natural emotion of fear to stop you from walking into your destiny, into your victory, into your miracle. Because as you overcome fear, you will see the hand of God move. And restoration will come in. Restoration of your finances, of your health, of your marriage restoration with your children, restoration with your parents, restoration, whatever you need. Stop operating and allowing fear to govern. Tell fear you have no part in me. For perfect love casts out all fear. And the love of God is what operates in me because Jesus died on the cross so that I might live in freedom and overcome fear.